Okie dokie, artichokey. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I have a 12-year-old. Okay. I've never heard these, that one. These, you've never heard that phrase no. before? No, I have no child. I have two dogs. Yeah. Who you call <laughs> fur babies? And that's not the least bit revolting. Okay. That's fine. Okay. Okie dokie, artichokey. That has become part of my vernacular. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Van 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Legendary band manager Jake Gold joins us on the big show to explain what it takes to make it in the business today. This is two business schools crunch the numbers on the most danceable hits. No word on food and pill form, but we have found Michael a jetpack, the one he's been asking for. And it's only a half million bucks. Plus, why Canada is one of the best countries to live in during a zombie apocalypse. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. So at uh, Geeks and Beats, we actively encourage you to support the show uh, on our Patreon account or through PayPal. And I think I've come up with a dollar value we need to raise, and we need to raise it quick. Oh, this is for the uh, the show that you on your back deck. No. Oh. This is for my 1,050 horsepower Iron Man jet suit for four hundred forty-seven thousand dollars. <laughs> I saw that this morning. I had to send it to you, and I thought that $447,000 was a reasonable price for something like this. <laughs> Richard Browning has what he calls a gravity Daedalus jet suit, uh, and it's um, on sale now for about 340 British pounds, so just shy of a half million U.S. dollars. And this is the guy who muscled his way into the Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest speed in a body-controlled jet engine power suit record. Did I see that on Top Gear or something? I, I may it have. Anyway, did. go ahead. Minimum distance, 100 meters. He beat the mark by 30 miles per hour, about 50 kilometers an hour to set the record. As he breached the 51 kilometer an hour mark before he tumbled into the Thames. Okay. We had this, this grand vision of could you approach the challenge of human flight in an entirely different way, very much augmenting the human body rather than putting the human in a flight machine. And after many, many, many iterations, we've got to a pretty awesome place. Right. Everybody needs a hobby, I suppose. Uh, okay. So he here's the thing that we need to keep in mind. Even if you had the best ballistic parachute the military could provide you, it doesn't do squat if you fall from a height of less than 100 feet, 30 meters. So it's no surprise that they don't tend to spend time above the 100 feet mark. It's a fireproof underlayer and then a lot of padding because this journey's been all about falling over. Not from very high, but uh, that's how we've learned and how we've made such quick progress. Despite the occasional mishap along the way, it's surprisingly easy to control. But if you're a little queasy about getting into your half-million-dollar jetpack and crashing it the first time, they have a virtual reality display to learn how to fly the suit. Well, there, you're all set because nobody has a VR rig better than you. 
Oh, my God. I'm loving this idea large. Even if it was just the virtual reality thing, maybe we'll get a couple of donations and we can get ourselves <laughs> up to $447,000. But I'm not so convinced it's going to happen at least this year. And if it does, you are doing it. I have nothing to do with this. You don't want to have anything to do with it? No, I am. No. You never wanted a jet pack as a kid? No. No, if I want a private jet, oh, <laughs> I want to sit down when I fly through the air. You, you, you want to be able to enjoy that drink. I do, yes. And I, I'm not the Tony Stark kind of guy. I'm sorry. I'm not a zombie kind of guy. I miss that whole internet phenom, and, and I never got into any of that. But apparently I'm at least living in the right country if there is an apocalypse. What is this about Canada being properly prepared for a zombie apocalypse? Right. Narcity.com is reporting that um, of the top 10 countries, the, the safest you want to be in during a zombie pandemic, Canada is number two on the list behind only Australia. Now that I can understand. Why? Zombies don't swim. Oh, right, right. The assumption, I suppose, is that you don't have any zombies in Australia, right. that they're all trying to get to Australia. Right. Canada, a bit of a different story. We have the world's longest undefended border until Trump gets in his way. The assumption, according to this article, is that all we can basically do is continue to move north. We have uh, several factors they take into consideration at the Zombie Research Society that put out this, and apparently it is, in fact, a thing. How are they funded? If you say taxpayer dollars, <laughs> you've heard that, uh, that line before. If somebody describes themselves as a taxpayer, they're about to be an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Zombie Research Society evaluated um, a variety of factors. You have to have a population of over 5 million, mm -hmm. which you would think the fewer the better, not the more. Um, Population density, climate, topography, gun ownership rate, military capability, natural resources, and public infrastructure. Apparently, we have enough guns in this country uh, to make that a viable means of defending ourselves, even though we don't generally let the public have access no, to them. No, what would happen is the cities would be devastated, but the rural people would simply retreat and then pull out the guns that they've used for hunting and, and, and wildlife control. And that's the gist of this. Yeah that the only way you want to survive a zombie apocalypse is to get the hell out of Dodge if Dodge happens to be the city of Toronto or any of the other major urban centers. I apologize for that noise in the background. That is not a zombie. That is the uh, uh, the elder bull terrier who is uh, snoring under the console here. <laughs> yeah, whenever the dog does that, I figure people just assume it's my sinus problem. <laughs> no, it's schmooze. Hi, schmooze. Uh, my brother-in-law lives someplace near Perry Sound, Ontario, and he is completely off the grid. I mean, he is one tick away from being the Unabomber. He is stocking liquor and bullets. Oh, is he a prepper kind of guy? He, not quite, but really close to the point where uh, his house is often inaccessible during the wintertime. Uh, he does not have uh, power. He uses uh, generators and solar panels. He has no phone line other than what he can get on his cell phone. And uh, all his computer connections are done three and four G, so uh, he is he is totally ready for for the zombie apocalypse. He does have some some guns. He's got three dogs. He's got a wife who can be very fierce. And uh, if there is such an event, uh, I know where I'm heading. Perry Sound, Ontario, uh, Orville, actually. 
Oh, I know Orville. Yes. So what position does his wife play? Ever wanted to be a big shot co-producer? It's just like Hollywood. Visit geeksandbeats.com to learn how you can pad your resume with an exciting show credit. We'll even send you the album cover of your episode, suitable for framing in your parents' basement. According to the internet, so you know it must be true, we have figured out what the most danceable number one hits are, and it's all about science. Yeah, I found this on Quartz, which is another one of these dubious um, business case studies where somebody puts a whole bunch of data points into an algorithm to try and quantify a song's artistic value. And in this particular case, it was the Columbia School of Business and the French business school called INSEAD. And what they did was they took data from Billboard and uh, the audio tech company Equinest, which is the company that does all the data behind Spotify. And using this, this algorithm developed by students at MIT, what they did was put in things like um, instrumentation, um, the the beat, its tempo, its regularity, it's something called valence, instrumentation, all these other things, crunched it all up, and they determined exactly which songs of the past 60 years are the most danceable. Joining us is the former manager for the Tragically Hip, The Watchman, and Sass Jordan. He is a three-time Canadian Music Industry Manager of the Year winner. Jake Gold joins us from his home studio in Toronto. Jake, good to have you with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Do you buy for a second that you can quantify what makes a danceable song? Well, I think that you could probably quantify everything. It's just a matter of whether you actually buy into it. You know, it's, it doesn't really... I mean, I'm looking at the list. You guys sent me the list, and most of these songs are pretty danceable. Okay. Well, let's start at number 10 on the list. Billie Jean by Michael Jackson from 1983. I'm not going to deny that at all. No, it's got a good groove. Yeah, Sir, Sir Mix-a-Lot's in there with Baby Got Back. You know, one of the things we have to look at is how these songs are danceable from the beginning to the end. <laughs> if you, for example, had a situation where there's a break where the tempo changes or there's a bridge or something that ruins the vibe, that punished the song. The algorithm punished the song for doing that. Puff Daddy's number eight, Lips, Funky Town, number seven from 1980. Okay, every wedding's got to play it. Queen's Another One Bites the Dust. There's that break you're talking about. No, no, that's no. A, it's got a steady beat all the way through. But would you dance to that one? Well, I don't know. I don't know if Alan would dance to any of them. Let's <laughs> let's let's be honest here. And would you, Michael? Would you dance to any of them? Well, I've only had one martini in me, but you get two of them. You know, it's. Ugh, I mean, let's be honest. Would any three of us? No. Really get up and dance? Like, is this, is this a useful conversation for it's, us to no, have? It's actually not, and I'm surprised to see it on the lineup. We're going to blame Michael for it. But yeah. let's fin let's just finish the lineup, uh, the, the, the list here, so that we don't leave people hanging. Number five is Pop Music from M, Ice Ice Baby from Vanilla Ice, which might as well be uh, a Queen song. Um, Hot in Here from Nelly, Justin Timberlake and Sexy Back, and Timbaland with Give It To Me from 2007. So if you need to dance, you know, somebody's actually made a playlist of this already. And if you really need to have, you know, some boogie around the house there, go to Spotify. It's it's there and fill your boots. Well, I'm interested in, in some insight into how it is that Justin Timberlake essentially made it um, on the list at number two and number one. Now, number two, Sexy Back. I get that. I brought Sexy Back to the store because it didn't fit. Oh, God. Ugh. 
Jake, I'm real sorry. I'm oh, really sorry. Oh, I was hoping we? to have a really good conversation here, and it just seems to be derailed. So it could be, you know, you know, here's... Well, my, that's because it's it's three white dudes talking about dance music. Yeah, with the white man's overbite. Yeah, exactly. Aside from the three of us, um, not having the ability to carry a beat between us, um, is there anything wrong with putting this kind of data into a machine and getting this kind of list? Well, can we trans... Can we segue from that i would like to talk to jake about about data because he was on a number of bob Lefset's podcasts over the last little while and it was what was that uh, event called in santa monica jake uh, the music media Sun- summit and it, it was in santa barbara in santa barbara sorry um and it was a really good series of podcasts because there was people like troy carter there was somebody from um, Motown, there was uh, somebody, Daniel Glass was on from Glass Note Records. There was the guy from um, Rob Glazer from, from Real Audio Networks. Uh, who Steve, blew, Steve Boom Steve from Boom Amazon. From Amazon. I mean, some really good speakers. And at the end, there was always this question and answer. And who would be in the middle of the question and answer every single time? Jake. And he'd be a- asking some really good questions. And one of the, a lot of the questions had to do with, with data and the use of data. So I'm, I'm going to ask you, as a manager. Yeah. What do you look for? Just, just an easy question to start. What do you look for today in a potential client? Well, obviously, you got to look at the socials, but you also have to look at engagement. Um, those are the more more important things because can you we know. The, can you explain the difference between what you mean by socials and then engagement? Okay, so you're looking at their Facebook page, and let's say they have, it's a new band, and let's say they have five to 10,000 followers. But, but when they post, they maybe get two shares, and maybe they reach 200 people. Then you got to question, okay, how did they get that many followers, and why aren't people paying attention? Or on the other side, um, you know, I work with a with a kids group named Splash and Boots, and they they perform their audiences to the six year olds. They're not kids themselves. They're a pretty popular kids group in Canada, and you know they have about twenty five thousand on on Facebook. But when they make a post, engagement is huge. You know, they they ran a contest before a show in Newfoundland. Uh, you know, back in the last week of June, that they were there at the beginning of July. And they ran a contest. They had, you know, 1,500 shares, and the reach was something like 111,000 people. Okay, so those are high numbers. Right. So how do you determine whether or not they're good? Well, what I'm saying is the good part is the engagement. So if they're getting a lot of shares and and they're reaching a lot of people because a lot of shares, it means that there's a lot of people paying attention to whatever they're doing. So that gives you an indication that they may be worth uh, putting your blood, sweat and tears into. Yeah, it's it's activity. I mean, the same with Spotify numbers. You know, we get a, um, a Spotify uh, artist uh, login and we can look at all the data on all our artists. And one of the key things you're looking for is is how many people are actually saving the music into their own cache on Spotify, into their own um, Spotify uh, um 
depository, I guess we'll call it. So their favorites or whatever. The favorites. No, but you can actually save. You can hit the save oh, button. Right, okay. And then and then by virtue of that, you can find out how many fans you have. So when you're scrolling through the data, you can see in every city how many people are listening versus how many people are fans. So, you know, one of the things that kind of skews Spotify these days is, you know, someone gets on a big playlist that let's say has a million or two million uh, followers. So all of a sudden they're getting thousands or hundreds of thousands of spins on Spotify, but they only have, you know, 25 or 30 fans, which means that it's passive. It's not, it's not active listening. So, you know, I'm looking for active listeners. I'm Uh looking for real fans because those are the people, when I start to plan my tours, I can go over with my agent who's booking the dates and saying, okay, You know, in this market, we have this many fans actually listening and have saved the music. We know they're real fans of the band and we can market to those people. Okay, let's take an example. One of your good bands now or one of your bands these days is Commandeer. I really like them. Right. Now, they're a. Thank um, you. uh, How would we describe them? Sort of like a chamber pop band, maybe? Uh, I would. Chamber pop band. Um, well, they're, they're, they're classically trained. Um, they have some pretty interesting ways of, of looking at instrumentation for their, for their songs. Uh, there is a, a, a pop element to what they do, but it's certainly more sophisticated than your, your standard sort of pop. Band. Yeah, I, I, would, I would call, I always like to say that they're kind of like a cross between an Arcade Fire and of, of Monsters and Men, you know. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, there's there's the strings and cello, but there's also a lot of keys and guitar, female and male vocalists. So, but I, I actually believe in you know, Alan, you've interviewed them before, um, that they kind of have their own sound, which is you know really tough today to have your own sound, and that's one of the reasons I was so attracted to them. But so go on, you were going to ask me a question. How are you using data to forward the career of Commandeer? Well, we're looking at at where the fans are, what the demographics are of the fans. Um, I don't, you know, one of the things I don't do is I don't say to the band, hey, you're appealing to young girls under the age of 18. So start writing, you know, cute love songs like that's not going to happen. So so we look at we look at who's existing out there. We look at, you know, maybe there's some holes to fill um, in terms of where what people were not reaching. And and we we plan we try and plan our tours around you know, where the fans are. So, you know, we did a big run in the U.S. and I remember going through it with the agent and saying, well, I know in these markets we have this many fans and I pulled the data and sent it to him. He was able to go to the promoters in those markets and say, you know, we know the band has fans in these markets by virtue of their uh, their, their Spotify uh, page. Now, one of the other things that happens is... Um, is um, we'll let you uh, close that screen first. Yeah. One of the other things that happens is um, Apple, as an example, you know, was and I think you probably heard me talk about this with uh, with left sets, uh, Alan. But um, Apple rolled out the same kind of data in April in beta form because uh, Spotify was getting a lot of attention via the labels and the artists because they were providing this data and Apple historically had never provided data and now they are. So now you can go to your Apple Music page, your artist page on Apple Music and you can pull down the same kind of data. Now back in the old days, you would look at 
sound scan sales and determine tour routings by looking at where you were actually selling records, right? You can look at you can look at sound scan uh, data, but you couldn't get the demos that you can get off of Spotify. I can get I can get gender, I can get age, um, which is a lot deeper dive than just how many you sold in a market. Now, you asked a really good question on one of those Left Sets podcasts about streaming. I think this is the one uh, with Troy Carter. It had to do with streaming in genre. Spotify is the biggest streamer in the West. They're the only one with a free tier. By doing that, they've tilted towards people who don't have the means to pay for a subscription. That could mean young people without credit cards. Young people tend to gravitate towards hip-hop. So... could it be that just by offering the free tier, everything is being skewed because the data uh, is indicated? Well, the data is coming from people who were skewed towards hip hop. Did I ask that to Troy or to Ethiopia? I can't I, remember. I may have asked it to Ethiopia, and one of the one of the reasons I brought it up to her is because I felt that what Spotify was missing was an album chart which would give us a better indication of, you know, the rock bands and the bands that were maybe getting um, getting uh, uh, a whole bunch of songs uh, cumulatively uh, streamed a lot as opposed to one song getting streamed a lot. Right. I think that's a problem because right now with, with playlists, it's all about the song and it's all about one artist in many cases, you know, Drake accepted. I was just going to say Drake accepted. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one song. So you start looking at, at if, if the record labels are following this, uh, the streaming charts from Spotify, right. uh, they're going to dump all their money in marketing into what they see people streaming, which is all hip hop and R and B. And that leaves all the other genres far behind in terms of marketing and advertising. But interestingly enough, if you heard Steve Boom talk, he talked about saying, you know, the number one, number one and two music on Amazon's platform is country and kids music, which is very encouraging for me since I, I do work with a kids group. Um, and, and, uh, and I've had conversations with him subsequently about that. And so I, and, but there's a, there's a service that doesn't offer a free tier. Now we're probably going to see some data from Apple because they don't offer a free tier either. That's probably going to be different than Spotify's. Right. And, okay. and, 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 uh, and remember, it's not just the one thing about all of those services. Well, most of them anyways, like is that, you know, they're worldwide. So while Spotify, um, I don't know the exact numbers and maybe you could find out, but you know, they're in South America. Most of, most of what's going on in South America is free tier. It's, it's not paid. Right, and that explains the explosion of a lot of Latin music exactly. that we're on these streams because exactly. of the free tier. Okay. Exactly. One of the so, things that, that, that rock fans are, are really upset about is that we seem to be getting completely locked out of the streaming wars because no rock fans, as far as we can tell from the charts, are streaming music. But I don't think I don't think that's correct because you look at at at, at album sales, sound scan numbers, and everything else. People are getting their music from somewhere. It's just not being aggregated in a, in a way that we understand that that rock still does have some kind of an impact. Well, keep in mind that rock rock music um, 
I mean that the the all the all the charts are are consumption charts now. They're not just sales. So they look at like Billboard counts fifteen hundred streams as an album sold. So when you're looking at sales charts, you have to take into account they're taking all the streams. And now that YouTube um, uh, has their has an actual um, Google has their actual uh, 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 streaming platform, an official one. You know now they're counting some of that. So when you take all of that into account, that's where you're going to see the cumulative um, of the sales. It's okay. not just straight ahead sales. It's it's the it's you know it's Billboard's looking at 1,500 streams is considered one album sold. So um, so that's where you're getting those numbers from. So yeah, rock music isn't sitting at the top of the charts, but you know look at what's going on out there, Alan. You know you got. Drake in his first week, a billion streams. Um, we're not trying to compare apples to oranges here. If a rock band's getting a million streams, they're still doing fairly decent, especially if there's six songs getting a million streams, which goes back to my point about, you know, it would be good to have an album chart because that may give us a different indication of, of what's actually going on out there. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out how to measure consumption and engagement when it comes to music these days, aren't we? I mean, um, we, we it's still being refined, put it that way. Well, listen, and it's going to continue because playlists is, is, is leading and dictating so much of what's going on that it's really hard to kind of to compete with some of these playlists because and and also the you know the major labels being an indie it's tougher because the major labels have a lot more real estate on the platform let's just call it that in terms of how many uh they they control the three major labels control three big big playlists um they're they're uh investors in the company they they usually get all of their new new releases, what they want to push the button on, on all the the big Spotify playlists, the ones that are so-called algorithm driven. One last question, and this has to do with uh, radio. What can radio do today to maintain some kind of a position as a cultural gatekeeper? I guess what I'm asking is, what can radio do to become relevant in the age of streaming? Well, it, it's, it's, it's interesting you said that. I read, a, a, I read an article about that today. And what the, what the smart radio stations are doing is they're creating their own presence on these streaming services. So, um, you know, besides the fact that we know local radio serves a purpose to the extent of... Um, finding out about um, uh, a show they're maybe co-promoting that they're involved with, finding out being on location, even local news, even local traffic, all of those things are important to local radio. You know, it happens in the moment. You know, you could, if, if you didn't turn on your TV and you weren't, you know, active in Twitter where there's a lot of news feed or Facebook and you just listen to Spotify, you could be oblivious to what's going on outside of the fact that, the songs you're listening to of the bands you're listening to may post on their Spotify page that they have a show coming up, but you're not going to find out about stuff you're not listening to. And, you know, 
radio has always been a curation place. Has it been the best curation place? I don't know. Maybe it needs to be better at that. But a lot of radio stations are, I mean, CBC Radio 2 does it. CBC Radio 2 has a page on Spotify where they put their top 20 every week. And so if you want to listen to what's what's in the CBC Radio 2 Top 20, you go to their Spotify page and you can listen to it. So they're getting a presence on the platform. If I was a radio station today, I'd have my playlists up on that platform and I'd be promoting it. So it gives them a presence. It gives them uh, it gives them um, um, some uh, um, profile. People see, oh, that's this radio station. Oh, I can now click through, you know, a, a tune in, which is the one that carries Bob, carries a lot of different radio stations. Um, iHeartRadio, you can go onto their um, uh, app and you can listen to all of their radio stations. And I think they're getting into that game by allowing you to stream their stations off apps onto your phones. I mean, most of it as we know, is what, we're at 90% mobile now in terms of how people are actually um, listening to music? Yeah, so. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, I think part of the problem with radio is that they've been doing things the same way for 100 years, like literally 100 years. And they're threatened by this idea of streaming and losing control. Um, but at the same time, they have cash flow still coming through and they don't want to really upset the apple cart too much because, well, there's Bay Street and Wall Street who are looking for returns from these radio groups and they want to continue to do what they're doing without risking it. You know what I mean? And it's, well, it's something's going to have to change. I think Canada is a healthier market than the U.S. Oh, we yes. know that we know that iHeart um tried to get financing and couldn't get financing and who knows what's going to happen with that that organization um but canada seems to be a much healthier market um in for that we still know that you know the edge in the 88 in toronto q107 they do decent numbers they attract a certain amount a certain audience um they do have a, a decent footprint in the marketplace as to a lot of stations i still feel that radio stations are an, are an important uh, partner when i go into a market to do a show i want to work with the local radio station if i can because they still offer me a lot of um a lot of presence in a marketplace that you know maybe spotify or apple music isn't going to offer me in a local way all right let's bring this full circle back to the end uh, to the beginning of the conversation here there was a list of 20 not 10 on this danceable song list i just have one question for you jake number what is it number 15 on the list how many drinks would you have to have in you to get up on the dance floor to 1974's Dionne Warwick, Then Came You? <laughs> I saw that on the list. I thought that was the weirdest one. Well, uh, that's an interesting question um, <laughs> because um, I don't really drink that much. So, uh, well, we'll, so. we'll ask you that question again October 17th. How's that? Oh, I see. Yes. Ah, October 17th. Well, that, that never stopped any of us before. But, you know, that that's kind of a sit down kind of environment than more of a get up and dance kind of environment. I, I think you're um, right. I think you know, right. uh, it re reminds me of being a prog rock guy and still kind of am. 
from the 70s. So, Jake Gold is the former manager for the tragically hip The Watchmen and Sass Jordan and a three-time Canadian Music Industry Manager of the Year winner. He joined us from his home studio in Toronto. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys, and current manager of Commandeer uh, and the Pursuit of Happiness, Alan. Oh, that's right. Who have who have a 30th anniversary uh, special edition coming out of Love Junk in September. Okay, I'm there for it. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Okay, so this uh, big live show that we're doing on Facebook Live at the end of August, mm-hmm. it's picking up steam, my friend. In what way? We may have a sponsor for the audio gear that we need. Okay. Which is very encouraging because you don't want us holding microphones to our faces through the whole thing. Makes it difficult to hold a martini in one hand and a MacBook in the other. Right. So we've got somebody that's going to give us some lavalier mics or some shotgun mics? Exactly. We may get some of that gear. Uh, But um, before that, I had uh, been speaking to one of our longtime fans, Michael Tweedy. He said, listen, I hear you need some some, some money to rent some gear. And when I told him, "Uh, we might not need the money to rent the gear because we may be getting the gear from the sponsor, he said, listen, I want to throw you 200 bucks anyway. Oh, that's sweet. Thank you very much. So I'm spending it on a whole bunch of other things to help make the big show possible. So if you go to geeksandbeats.com slash live or just to the regular website and click the uh, watch us live link, you can sign up to be automatically notified when we're live on the air. You can do it via email. You can do it via your, your calendar software or anything like that. So just go there and make sure that you know all about it, because I swear to God, if only three people watch this live stream. I think Tweety's going to want his 200 bucks back. <laughs> That's probably true. Um, can I ask a little bit about uh, when we're going to do that audit of our finances? <laughs> what audit of our oh, finances? Okay, just, just, just asking. I, I actually owe um, you a little bit of money there, uh-huh. don't I? Do you? Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the Patreon, uh, Patreon account, and it says uh, our patrons have been charged for June, so I need to check the account. Oh, okay, because I need that money to pay for a VIP pass to a conference in Singapore. Dump it in the PayPal account, I'll take it from there. So long as you live tweet it under the Geeks and Beats name, it's a business expense. It is a business expense, and I need all the proof that it's a business expense that I can get. So go to geeksbeats.com. Uh, you can support the show by being a member of the world's worst intern program. Well, what makes it the world's worst is you pay us $1 per episode to work on the show. Don't do any actual work, and all we do is say thank you. As we are now saying to our latest intern, Craig Aiken, uh, who uh, updated his Patreon account. Uh, this episode is brought to you by Emma Borsellino. She is the co-producer this week. Thank you very much. We do appreciate the money. Send Alan to Singapore. gets you the title of co-producer. You can put it on your LinkedIn profile. We will vouch for it on a resume. We'll give you a telephone number that people can call if you're looking for a contact. And uh, that also gets you on the album art for that week's episode, which you can print off, frame, and hang in your parents' basement. Lovely. So uh, as far as the best songs to dance to, I'm looking at that top 20 list. You will not leave this alone. No. Listen... Here's what my wife says about me. She says, I will dance twice in my life. Once at our wedding, check. 
once on my grave. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.